We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, Steven here. I want to talk to you for a second about our sponsor, Manscaped. If you're looking for the best way to help your loved ones out in this holiday season, look no further than Manscaped. Manscaped has the tools to make you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competitions. It is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and have hygiene products uh, that are now available across Europe, Canada, and Australia. Uh, you can use the promo code GUILTY at checkout for an additional 20% off your order. Definitely make sure and check out their boxers. Big fan of those as well as their crop preserver ball deodorant. Yes, that's right. They now have deodorant for your balls. Like I said, use that promo code GUILTY at checkout for an additional 20% off. And as always, thank you for your support. And a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you from the Guilty as Charged podcast. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and joining me as always is Alex. Alex, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, haven't watched a lot of the film from last week just because it seems kind of hard to watch, and uh, I didn't want to see, you know, Bill Belichick's uh, gruesome attack on Pearl Harbor. <laughs> um, it just, just it just kind of seems like it, it's not fun to watch again. So I just uh, it's too hard. What was the what was the comment you made on Twitter about Bill Belichick? He he's always seemed like a what? <laughs> I think I I posted that uh, Bill Belichick has always seemed like an Emperor uh, Hirohito type who was the uh, <laughs> mastermind behind the Pearl Harbor attack. <laughs> so, oh man, yeah. What a you know I'm getting real sick of talking about Anthony Lynn's job security, but he keeps on saying <laughs> dumb shit from the podium. So um, you know, 
I both my grandparents or both my grandfathers served in World War II, and, and you know I understand that that's like a, a really difficult time to look back on American history and things like that. But I just feel like Pearl Harbor is something that you should never really talk about in terms of football and, and you know losing yeah. football games. Like if you wanted to mention a specific individual and like use that comparison to like overcoming tough right. times, like I get that, and maybe he did do that. Maybe they did have that conversation, but. Just like generalizing it and like, oh, our losing streak is comparable to Pearl Harbor. It's like, <laughs> Anthony, like, no, that, that, that's not okay, my man. It it, it was weird. And Tyler kind of said it best. He's made some really weird comments, and they just keep getting weirder and weirder, like, every single time he gets on that podium. I think, right, because I think before that, uh, before he said that, there someone asked him, like, who do you, like, look to um, – for like advice when you're having a hard time yeah uh you know with the team losing and he was like you know jesus my lord and savior yada 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 uh and then he got to the whole like i think then the reporter i don't remember which reporter was followed up uh and talked about like has is there a specific thing you look to and i think he i i give him the benefit of the doubt because i think he meant to mention it in terms of pearl harbor day which was like two days ago um, but, <laughs> you know, he kind of was like, oh, well, you know, Pearl Harbor, you know, people came back, you know, there was an attack and then, you know, we came back and, uh, overcame that adversity. It's like, I don't know if we want to use this in terms <laughs> of the sport where, yeah. uh, the guys, uh, carry the oblong egg shaped ball, uh, from end zone to end right. zone. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, the Sixers' ten and seventy-two season was bad, but I probably wouldn't compare it to the Holocaust. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just like was such a weird and like the day started off with you know a report from Michael Lombardi about you know Anthony Lynn doesn't talk to the team in pregame situations, yeah. and you know that was kind of taken out of context. I feel like you know because there are a lot of coaches that don't you know get into the raw yeah. raw type of of comments, and you know. Michael Lombardi could have been talking about like right before kickoff, like, you know, you see everybody kind of huddle up and, and, you know, we've seen different kind of players take on that role of like, you know, hyping the team up and maybe that's what he was referring to. It definitely wasn't a good look, but, and then it just got weird. Like then we find out that Anthony Lynn's comparing the Chargers terrible season to Pearl Harbor. And (laughs) it was, it was a weird day. And, you know, Anthony Lynn kind of got toasted a little bit by the media today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know the, those Lombardi comments were kind of a uh, weird. I I kind of think Lombardi's a gas bag, but <laughs> in general, <laughs> like I, I I do think maybe he has a point in terms of like you know is there the right preparation going on and all those kinds of things. Right. But it's like you know, to to me the the real issue is the regression in coaching that we've seen from 2018 to 2020. Not not all this other, I guess, outside stuff, even though it seems weird. Like if Anthony Lynn is not giving rah-rah speeches to the players, it matters when they're three and nine, not nine and three. Right. (laughs) Like, so I, uh, yeah, I I really just care about the results in the field and the regression that we've seen coaching on the field, you know, it's results driven league and all that. But um, I, I guess if there are communication issues, then that, you know, would be a problem. Yeah, I don't think enough people realize how many coaches say dumb shit from the podium. Like, yeah. outside of Bill Belichick, every coach says dumb shit. Like, Doug Peterson went on on Sunday evening at his press conference and was like, 
oh, I don't, I don't know if we're ready to move on from Carson Wentz. And then literally the next day it came out that they were moving on from Carson Wentz. So, yeah, you know, coaches say dumb shit from the podium and like, that's just who they are. And, you know, I, I'm okay if they say dumb shit and they're winning, but you know, the problem right yeah. now is that he's saying stupid stuff and they're losing and they've lost for two years, you know, in a row. And it's just like you mentioned the overall regression and, you know, I did go back and watch the film and, you know, I'm going to tie this in with some of his other comments. He he said that, you know, the pass blocking has not been great, but that Justin Herbert also has to get the ball out quicker. And it's like, you know, I went back and watched the Cincinnati film and, and the pass plays that they were calling for Tyrod Taylor. And it's it was a lot of quick throws. They ran four bootlegs, they ran four RPOs, run pass options. And then you watch the New England tape and it's just five, seven, five, step drops seven step drops you're turning justin herbert into philip rivers and it's like well what is the point of having a guy who's mobile back there who you can do things like rpos and and bootlegs and make things easier on him and the offensive line if you're not going to do it so you know you're talking about regression i think the game planning overall offensively has gotten significantly worse over the last few weeks and that's why the offense hasn't been hasn't been putting up a much as much points as before, you know, I, I just think the offensive play calling has not been great uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's about getting Herbert into those bootleg situations, getting him into plays where he could do something with his legs as well. Uh, Cause we saw in the Carolina game and, and stuff earlier this year, like, like I remember that play where Herbert, you know, ran 30 yards or, you know, had, right. had plays like that. Um, but they've certainly been few and far between in the last few weeks. And uh, maybe that's a result of like trying to get too many players, the ball, right. Uh, or having too many mouths to feed. But I definitely think you have to let uh, Herbert cook a little. Um, and they just haven't really been doing that. Uh, now there are some detriments to that as we've seen in Seattle, uh, letting Russ cook over the last few weeks hasn't right. yielded uh, terribly productive results, but um, I just think, you know, if you're going to kind of uh, handicap Herbert, uh, I don't think that's putting him in a position uh, to succeed for sure. That's been really my biggest problem with the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I, there were some media members and some, you know, Chargers fans that were criticizing Herbert for his game on, on Sunday. And it's like, well, what did you want him to do differently? Like, sure, he could have played better better, and sure, maybe they could have, you know, converted and, and maybe gotten 10 points instead of zero. But you know, what's the difference between a 45 to 10 game and a 45 to zero game? Yeah. You're not winning any kind of game where your special teams gives up two touchdowns and, you know, right. it is given up 48 yards or whatever it was on punt return. So, you know, of course, Justin could have played better, but you know, like you mentioned, I just felt like the coaching staff really set him up to fail this past week. And then, you know, you couple that with the offensive line being atrocious against a very piss poor pass rush of the new England Patriots. And it's just, it was a poor combination. You know, you can't go up against Bill Belichick, not prepared, and then also get out-executed and out-efforted, if that's a word. And and it was just a mess from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to specifically where we were talking about the offensive line, right? The, the Patriots are coming into that game with the 31st-ranked pass rush win rate unit um, on their line. Gosh. And it's like, you got to be able to stop these guys, right? Not that they're all bad. I mean, they're all in the NFL. But it's like, you know, some at some point it is about effort. And we saw the offensive line play well earlier in the year. 
Um, you know, Forrest Lamp allowed like, uh, I want to say like 12 pressures in the first nine games. And in the last three, he's allowed 17, uh, 17 of his 29 pressures have yeah. been in the last three games. So it's stuff like that where you're seeing a little bit of regression from him, from how he was playing earlier in the year. Obviously, Tevi was uh, not there on Sunday because of his, uh, you know, his child uh, legend being born. Uh, and wait, you know, it, you had a, is the child's name actually Legend? I don't know. I just saw a baby and it had Legend <laughs> above it, so okay. I don't know if the name is Legend or not. I just assume that it is. That, if that's true, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Le- Legend Tevi. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, we just see some regression from the line from how Lamp has been playing. Um, Tevi was kind of playing at a higher level, I thought, at the beginning of the season. Um, it's really just all about getting out executed in the trenches to some extent. I mean, we yeah. see on the defensive side of the ball, the interior and obviously Perriman was out. So that, you know, stopped the run game, but it's like, you know, Cam and all those running backs on the team were just, you know, they didn't care about the Chargers defense. You know, they were never going to stop them or force Cam to throw through 12, 19 times for 69 yards or whatever it was or 73. Um, and that was just, you know, uh, how he beat us so um i don't know i i think it's a lot about effort and it just seems like this team has regressed um when it comes to just beating their man from where they were earlier in the season it is it, you know the regression from the offensive line in particular Forrest lamp who you mentioned in dan feeney like you know i went and looked at you know in their first six games they combined to allow like 16 total pressures and then you know over the last six games it's been like 32 or something like that so they've basically yeah. like doubled the amount of of pressures that they're allowing and you know i the offensive line has been a mess this year with the injuries and the sick stomach yeah. and and <laughs> the baby and you know they haven't had their normal starting five start for more than like three games and so i i'm I'm understandable of the offensive line situation. You know, I played offensive line in high school and and I I get it. You know, you want to have continuity. You want to have some chemistry and the Chargers haven't really had that. But at the same time, like the Patriots were not doing anything special. More often than not, they were dropping seven, eight guys into coverage and really only rushing three or even four and just doing simple basic stunts that you cover in frankly middle school. And so, you know, there was a particular play you know, when the Chargers were driving right before the half and, you know, it looked like Dan Feeney had made some calls to go to the right and, you know, Forrest Lamp you didn't get that memo or, or something. And he literally went, someone ran, run right by him and hit Justin Herbert in the face. Like that, those kind of plays happen way too much now. And, you know, I think the pressure has gotten to Herbert. He's, he's a little more skittish the last couple of weeks and rightfully so he's, you know, he's getting hit more than any other quarterback in the league right now. And, you know, these, this offensive line is just not very good. And, you know, to top it all off, Debbie Feeney and lamp, they're all free agents. So, you know, the Chargers have a, have a very difficult off season coming up and, you know, specifically with those three, and then we'll get to the, the bigger guys. But, you know, I, I put this poll on Twitter of like, if you have to, re-sign and keep one of them in the starting position between Tevi Lamp and Feeney, who would you choose? And, you know, the majority of the poll went to Forrest Lamp and I'm like, well, <laughs> like that, that feels like the least likely of the three to return in my opinion. I don't know what, you, what your thoughts are on, on those, the future of those three. No, I mean, I agree. I think Tevi 
based on his season this year is probably the most likely to return. Um, just because I think they could get him for, I don't know, four or five, six million, something around there. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can keep him at, at the very least, uh, if you're going to draft a backup tackle, he'll compete for the job, uh, opposite Balaga of, I think we're past <laughs> Pipkins competing for the starting job at this yeah. point. Um, Lamp is interesting because, I mean, really our only expectation before the season was just stay healthy, uh, and he did. Uh, and, you know, he played well in those first uh, six to eight games. He had a really great stretch, and then, you know, it's sort of he, re- he regressed. But, you know, maybe that's also just like getting through um, a full season to some extent with him because he's never really played a full season at the NFL yeah. level before. Um so you have, you know, him, Feeney, I don't know. Feeney, I, I think, is probably maybe the least likely to return just because I feel like there's a replaceable factor with the fact that they have Questenberry there and they can take um, an interior offensive lineman in the draft. Um, he, he's the one that feels the most replaceable. Uh, and Lamp at least somewhat depends on what they're going to do with Trey Turner and how they figure out the guard situation next year. So I True. would say Feeney's probably the least likely to return. Tevi feels like the most likely to return. Yeah, I, agree. I would agree with that. And, you know, I feel like Tevi, you know, he's been consistent. He, he's not a great player. You know, we know that this is probably who he mm-hmm. is at this point, but he's become a serviceable left tackle. And, you know, that is, it was kind of what we were hoping out of the season for him. And so, you know, he's consistently allowing three or four pressures a game, which isn't great, like I said. But, you know, last season there were like four or five games where he allowed seven or eight pressures. So he's improved. Right. He, he's serviceable. You know, he's he's fairly consistent. And, you know, unlike Feeney and Lamp, I feel like Tevi at least has a something that he's really good at. He's a really good run blocker, right, especially out in space. Whereas uh-huh. Feeney and Lamp, like there's nothing that you can really point to and like, okay, this is like, their strength. This is the thing that makes them stand out. So I agree. I think Tevi is back and, you know, like worst case scenario is you get him on a cheapest deal and you draft someone, you let him compete it out. And then you have Sam Tevi as the swing tackle. And then you're not forced to play Trey Pipkins in case Brian Balaga has a sick stomach or storm Norton in case, you know, someone's having a baby. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm all about bringing Sam Tevi back. And, and I think that is probably a, a good situation for him as well. Yep. So let's get to the big three, you know, or at least our perceived, perceived big three, right? And that's Michael Davis, Rayshon Jenkins, and Hunter Henry. Um, I feel like <laughs> people don't realize that Michael Davis is now the team's best corner. Like, you know, I, I know that people still hold on to like their past evaluations of him. And I was surprised at how much heat I got on Twitter from people when I said that Michael Davis is the team's best corner and like that he is a must resign. And, you know, I just don't get it. Like, are we, are we still holding on to past evaluations or, or what's going on? Cause to me, Michael Davis is finally hitting his stride. You know, he's got great length of the position, great speed. And it would be foolish in my opinion to let someone like him that with the physical profile that he has, and he's finally figuring it out. And then you let him go just because you think he might cost too much. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't think that makes a lot of sense either. Um, I mean, not that I would make the argument, but there's an argument that he might be more valuable to keep around than someone like Hunter Henry. 
Um, but in terms of those big three, I think Henry is probably the most important. Um, ben Davis would be second most and Jenkins would be third um, in terms of priority. You know, the person we're obviously not mentioning here is Melvin Ingram, but I mean, yeah. with a knee injury to end the season and his lack of production throughout the year, I think it's pretty safe bet he won't be back um, unless, you know, the market just doesn't show up for him and they can get him on a, you know, really small deal or something. But um, no, I mean, I think Michael Davis is uh, arguably the team's best corner, uh, depending on if you think Casey Hayward's struggles are injury related or, you know, this is just who he's going to be. Um, for the rest of his career, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but uh, definitely his speed, his uh, kind of size, length, those are things that you just can't replicate uh, most of the time. There aren't uh, a ton of draft candidates who have co- that combination of all three. Uh, so I, I think that Davis is definitely going to be useful for the secondary for years to come. Uh, if he does resign, um, and I think he could have one of the more competitive markets with, you know, just how important cornerback is in this league. Right. I agree with you. And, and you know, cornerbacks are, are not cheap and it's pretty rare to find someone who, you know, a former undrafted free agent who's really come into his own like he has. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that that plays out. The other one. You know, Rayshon Jenkins, like we've talked about him, he's definitely not a perfect player at the same time. He. You know, he's kind of a must resign as well because, you know, what's the alternative, right? Because Derwin James has not proven that he can stay healthy on the field. And obviously, he's a great player and I love Derwin James and I, you know, I wish that he were on the field. But, you know, like let's say you lose Rayshon Jenkins and then Derwin gets hurt again. Then you're starting to see Adderley and Alohi Gilman at the two safety spots or are you bringing back Jaleel Adai and playing him at strong safety or. Yeah. drafting they can't draft a safety early they have too many other needs so you know Rayshon just kind of out of necessity is going to be brought back and I know a lot of people still hate on him and I I understand you know early on in his career he's had some issues but I feel like he's been a, a solid player over this season and uh I I know for a fact he's better than Nasir Adderley is at free safety or yeah. Lohi Gilman is at strong safety so um that one's just kind of a necessity thing like you know it's a, a combination of a player who is in a fortunate position at the right time because the team needs him. Yeah. I mean, I think there could be an argument to be made if Nasir was really, you know, showing uh, some strides this season and then you had Derwin coming back and you could kind of have that Derwin Nasir, uh, you know, pairing that everyone's wanted for so long, really since Nasir was drafted. Um, but we just haven't seen those strides from this year, uh, unfortunately. So uh, I think Jenkins will probably be back uh, unless they find another kind of veteran, you know, strong safety and reagency on the cheap or, you know, they really address it early in the draft. But um, I don't know if this is a draft that's really like that is a ton of safety talent. Um, I, I think it's more of a cornerback draft. So. I don't know if you could really go like super high with it. Um, but, you yeah, know, it's it's a weird position to be in just because, you know, we don't love the idea of signing Rayshon, but he's certainly better than uh, everyone else that they have right now. And I think that's just the reality. Um, and obviously he is Derwin insurance, right? In case 
Derwin were to, you know, have another knee injury or a significant injury that, you know, were to keep him out for a long period of time. So, yeah, uh, I think he's definitely a priority, probably a little bit behind Henry and Davis, yeah. um, it, you know, and also come, will come down to money to some extent. Yeah, you know, Daniel Popper wrote in uh, his mailbag article, I, I want to say it was like a four-year, $35 million deal, potentially. I think mm-hmm. that's a little bit rich for my taste. Um, you know, four years of Rayshon, I don't know if that would be smart. I, I, I would think like a two-year prove-it deal would probably be like the smart business way to go but you know we'll have to see how that works out um and then hunter henry you know he uh that's gonna be really interesting because the tight end market has gone up you know austin hooper kind of uh set that in motion last year when he signed a four year for 42 million dollar deal um you know i think zach Ertz is doing extension as well and then obviously kittle and kelsey got their big paydays and so did darren waller so you know, let's use the Hooper baseline because he got four for 42. And I think it's pretty safe to say that Hunter Henry is a better player. So, you know, in terms of contract for Hunter Henry, like what do you think this team is looking at? Uh, I mean, I think it could be like four for 44. I mean, I think it, he could basically get whatever his franchise tag is this year. Um, I think he's at 11 million on the season or 10.6. So, you know, Something you multiply like that, that yeah. by four years, you would get somewhere between 42 and 44. Um, so I think that would be a reasonable expectation to set for him, um, in terms of how free agency is going to go. Obviously there's going to be a lot of teams that want him. I'm sure, I'm sure if he could, that, uh, someone like Bill Belichick would love to have him. Uh, (laughs) he's, he's been watching Hunter Henry since he was a baby and all that. So, uh, I'm, I'm sure he would love them, but, uh, I, I I think the chargers will probably lock Hunter Henry in at something like four years, 40 or four years 45 Uh, i think that that's kind of a safe bet um that's one of those signings that i think isn't uh dependent on uh, the salary cap right so there's a lot of discussion about will the salary cap go down to like 175 will be 195 i think henry's gonna get the same money either way Um, i agree he's just that kind of player he is top five top ten in his position um you know those kind of guys just always get their money regardless of what the financial circumstances are. Yeah. He, you know, he's top five, top six in his, at his position in like every statistical category, except for touchdowns. So, you know, he's been a very reliable target for, for Justin Herbert. And really that's the main thing. Like he's producing, he's a safety valve for a young quarterback. And, you know, most importantly, he's finally healthy. And that's really been the biggest thing, you know, for Hunter Henry. That's why he got the franchise tag, right? Because they had to see if he could play, you know, full season and knock on wood, you know, he's only got four games left. So, uh, you know, he's most likely looking to do that. So I think that's going to be interesting as well. And, you know, you talk about the salary cap, if it's 195, like it uh, was originally projected at, like that would be huge for the Chargers because then, you know, they could potentially look at, you know, bringing other free agents at other positions in as well as having enough space for their own players. Cause they're going to have enough space to re-sign whoever they want pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not too concerned about that unless, you know, Melvin Ingram is is re-signed at a more expensive contract than we're thinking. But, you know, if they want to bring back that big three and, and Tevi and, and Feeney or Lamp or whatever, like they'll have space to do it. And, you know, it's just a matter of if they're going to have space to bring anybody else in from the outside. Um, but I also want to talk about this because, 
you know, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, and Trey Turner are all guys that could be cut and they could save a very large chunk of change if they cut even just one of them. I think if you cut Casey Hayward, you get, um, you free up $9 million in cap space, I believe. And I think Chris Harris, if you cut him, it's like five and Trey Turner is like six or seven. So um, in terms of cutting one of those three, like, what do you, would you cut Casey Hayward at this point? And then you draft a corner early or, or what do you make of that situation? I think if you want to draft a cornerback in like the very beginning of the draft, so you want to take Patrick Sertan uh, or Caleb Farley or someone like that, I think that that could be kind of a serious discussion about cutting Casey Hayward um, just because those guys are ready to play uh, right now. Then you re-sign Michael Davis and you have basically a trio next year that is you know, something like Sertan, uh, Michael Davis, and Chris Harris. Um, I think that is a cornerback trio where I would be comfortable, uh, cutting Casey Hayward if they were to do it. Um, but you know, if they take a guy, a cornerback in the third or fourth round, that might be something where they look for more of a transition, uh, for Casey, um, in terms of like, he's still the corner, but we want to work this guy in. Right. Um, so that, that situation would be a little bit different. Um, Chris Harris. I could see them cutting him, but I mean, he's on an expiring contract anyway. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure Tavon Campbell or, you know, any of those other guys right now are ready to play slot corner. And I think just having Harris for that other year while those other guys develop uh, like Tavon Campbell or somebody else, uh, I think that would be a big um, advantage to have just because, you know, I, I don't think it would make sense to really throw Tavon into the fire, but I also right. don't think it would make sense to spend a ton of draft capital to draft like the next Desmond King, you know, in the third or fourth round, as opposed to taking like, you know, your outside uh, CB1. Right. So um, I think the likeliest out of those ones is Turner, just because he hasn't played particularly well. Um, you know, obviously he's been dealing with that injury the whole season. I think 10, you know, he's, he's on a $10 million contract. They don't lose a ton by cutting him. I mean, he is another body there, but I don't think his performance has been that much better than a forest lamp or any other guy they plugged in there. Um, and that's what, you know, chargers fans were hoping for. Um, you know, maybe they give him another year cause it's not like a super pricey deal, but you know, if you're looking at a potential cut, I think it's more uh, him over Casey Hayward or Harris. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, if you're talking about a player who needs to play really well over the last these last four games, that's Trey Turner, man. And, you know, I understand like the first game back in Miami, he looked a little rusty, kind of looked a little slower than usual. Um, you know, that's just kind of the reality of having a big injury like that. And I understand that. And um you know, it's just unfortunate because I was really excited to have to have him in Los Angeles. I thought he was is going to bring a, you know, a really nice, tenacious mentality to this team that they didn't really have. And it's just unfortunate the injuries have, have kind of sapped him of that. So he could certainly rebound over the last four games and kind of change that opinion. Um, but I would agree with that as well. So um, any other thoughts on, on free agency before we move on to our, our next segment here? 
Yeah, I just want to say I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting market whether it's 175 or 195 or 200 of the salary cap. Um, I think the thing to keep in mind when you are on spottrack.com or any of these websites, you know, trying to calculate, you know, what are the contracts going to be and do the Chargers have enough money and all this uh, is like one, you know, it is going to be a bit of a reduced market. So like, I think you'll see guys, um, not guys like Hunter Henry, but I think you'll see guys maybe like Rayshon Jenkins uh, take smaller deals if money isn't out there, right? Um, it may not be a negotiating type of market where players uh, yeah. are going to go much past the first offer. And that's what we saw um, in the NBA where you had players like, uh, you know, Dwight Howard and others just take, you know, the first offer they got um, just because, you know, they wanted to have, you know, their kind of seat or their spot, you know, handled. So, I mean, you could be in for that uh, in terms of NFL free agency and, um, you know, it's not like, you know, I was kind of messaging you about this, but it's not like only the Chargers are getting cut by 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That happens, right. Um, and the Chargers have the eighth or ninth most cap space right now. Um, they have 30 million. So if they get cut by 25, sure. I mean, maybe they would only have 5 million in cap space, but because, you know, they're already eighth or ninth in cap space, there would be about 20 or 21 worse teams in, right. in a, in a you know, in a worse position than they would be. Um, and also just in terms of the cap, you know, we've seen the chiefs and saints get around the cap so often at this point. <laughs> you so know, there's often. The, yeah. There's always ways, you know, where it's like, Oh, the chiefs have 600 K and oops, they just re-signed to Marcus Robinson for $4 million. Yeah. You know, so we, we've seen that a bunch of times. Um, you know, there's ways to circumvent the salary cap and kick the cat, uh, kick the can down the road as we've seen teams like the chiefs and the Eagles and the saints uh, do pretty consistently. So, you know, it's not necessarily a hard capped league, even though it is. Yeah. My favorite thing this past off season is like the, the saints signed, you know, Michael, Michael Thomas to that huge extension. And then it was like, well, they only have $1.2 million before the draft and cap space. And then like the day after the draft is like, we're signing Emmanuel Sanders. And it was like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Like, how is this and, working? <laughs> and the first round tender on uh, Taysom Hill. Yeah. So we're going to pay $21 million for Taysom Hill. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. The creative GMs figure a way to, to get around that thing. Yeah. It's just Tom Telesco has kind of never really bothered to do that, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation. So um, we got, we sent out a tweet, obviously asking for some uh, video responses or audio responses. We did get a, a few. And so, uh, we're going to play a couple of those now and uh, just kind of treat this as a mailbag situation. So uh, our first one is from Mike Moldlin, uh, and he has an opinion on Anthony Lynn. So let's give it a listen. Podcast. This is at what's cracking. Oh, sorry. At Supercharger on Twitter. What's cracking guilty's charge podcast. This is at Supercharger on Twitter. Anthony Lynn, in my opinion, um, his his downfall is going to be his loyalty to his assistant coaches and his coordinators. He continuously makes excuses for every side of the ball. And obviously now is, is trying to take on position coaching himself. And I, I feel like he's trying to overcompensate for his fellow coaches because uh, they're not doing a good job. And he's 
getting lost in the details and sometimes not paying attention to the details of the game as it's happening. Sorry, it was too long. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> you know, Mike brings up a really interesting point and uh, no apology necessary. I think that was, that was a really good point because, you know, Anthony Lynn mentioned today that he is going to take over special teams, right? And there is something here that Mike is referencing and that is, that Anthony Lynn might be, you know, stringing himself along in too many different places. And, you know, there is a possibility out there that Anthony Lynn is back next year. And, you know, I think it's a low possibility in my opinion, but it stands within reason that the Chargers front office looks at this and goes, you know what, maybe we just need to hire some new coordinators and maybe that brings, you know, this team back around. And, you know, I, I think that is, something that could be a possibility because if you look at, you know, the best year this Chargers team had in 2018, you know, Ken Wisenhan and Gus Bradley, and, and they were firing on, on all cylinders. And I think, you know, it could be possible that, you know, Anthony Lynn just, you know, he could be a good head coach CEO type, but he just needs better coordinators. And I think that is an interesting point that uh, Mike is referencing here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he may be stretching himself too thin now. Um, the yeah. idea of him taking over special teams, I'll, I'll be curious to see how that goes. Um, I don't have terribly high expectations just because of how many other things Anthony Lynn has to handle in this burning building. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I think, I don't know if I would say Anthony Lynn is too loyal to his guys. I mean, that's a criticism he's gotten a lot. But, I mean, he did fire Ken Wisenhunt last year. Um, yeah. this year, you know, the, you know, George Stewart was a guy who, you know, people wanted to go on. I mean, he, and he, he didn't get fired, but I mean, he was basically kicked off of special teams, uh, which was his job. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say he's been too loyal. Um, I would just say the, the two things that have hurt him in particular this year have been obviously, you know, George Stewart on special teams, um, and the hole that has opened up since George Stewart's firing, where they just look really disorganized. And the other thing is Gus Bradley kind of being up and down throughout the year. But, you know, he, he's done a lot poorly, but he hasn't done quite enough to get fired. And it's like, you know, do you promote Ron, you know, would you promote Milas or someone like that midseason? You know, that's a tough decision. And, um, you know, Shane Steichen has been, Overall, I would say good, but he's had his growing pains and, you know, that's just going to happen with a first year rookie offensive coordinator. I mean, that basically is what he is since he was running Wisenhunt's plays last year. And this is, you know, the first year with his kind of uh, own playbook. So um, I think there are definitely some things Anthony Lynn hasn't uh, done well. Um, maybe he waited on George Stewart a little bit or yeah. he should have been maybe more you know, you could argue Bradley, but I just think some things were kind of out of his control. And now as a response, he's trying to take on too much responsibility and stretching himself, you know, too thin as both Mike uh, and you've mentioned. So it's just, I think a really tough position to be in. And I don't know if they would run it back with different coordinators next year. Um, but I guess it's possible. Uh, I, I just think Anthony Lynn's kind of toast at this point And, um, I'm not sure coordinators would have changed a lot going into this season. Yeah. I mean, you know, it stands within reason that, you know, you, you keep Gus Bradley around because, you know, he, he's been there and you know he's a veteran coach and, 
you know, with all the injuries. And there was always this idea, like later on, like, oh, Melvin Ingram's coming back. Chris Harris is back. And so I understand why he didn't fight, why they didn't fire Gus Bradley, because there was always like, oh, like we're going to have reinforcements down the road. And so like, you know, there was kind of a light at the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel kind of situation going on. So I understand that. Um, as far as George Stewart, he hadn't coached special teams since Anthony Lynn was a player. So just in general, like it was a bad hiring. <laughs> yeah. Um, that one definitely, I think, you know, he's his mentor, you know, George Stewart is a big reason why Anthony Lynn even got to stay in the NFL as his former special teams coach. So, I mean, I get it at the end of the day, relationships are a big part of what the sport is driven by. You know, there's like seven coaches that have their sons on the coaching staff with them. So I I understand like being hesitant to fire a guy like George Stewart. And, you know, I just think with the special teams unit, like what he said a few weeks ago is that, Oh, like I'm going to be chipping in and Artie Burns is going to be chipping in or not Artie Burns. That's the cornerback for the Steelers. Um, Keith uh, Keith Burns, you know, he's going to be chipping in and he mentioned another name. And I just think like, you know, at some point, a thing like special teams, it needs to be one person running it. And so, right. you know, it'll be interesting to see if Anthony Lynn is like fully dedicated to special teams now. But, you know, I think it can't get any worse. Like they literally put up the worst special team <laughs> performance in the history of the league on Sunday. So, yeah. uh, I mean, at least, at least there's that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think it can get any worse. Um, the only thing that I kind of worry about is just like, you know, we talked about stretching himself too thin where, you know, he might be, you know, super focused on special teams because that's the real ailment of his team and something that might result in him losing games and downfall. And, and maybe as a result, he's not paying attention to other stuff, right? Just because he's focused uh, on the special teams issue. So that's the thing that I would worry about going into this uh, in these next few games. Yeah. So, uh, let's get to our next one from uh, Luke. I'm pretty sure it's with Wajanka. I'm sorry, Luke. You know, I've never really asked you how to pronounce your last name, but uh, <laughs> I think that's how you say it. So um, this is going to be our second one here. How about them Chargers? Yeah, I'll tell you about them Chargers. Fuck them. <laughs> Got about no nothing going well right now besides Herbert, Keenan Allen, and Joey Bosa. You know, I can't say I know any of the solutions to any of our problems. If I did, I think I'd be part of the front office. Well, actually, I guess that makes me part of the front office. I'd fit right in. (laughs) Uh, But I'll be a Chargers fan until the day I die, even if it brings me crippling depression sometimes, or a lot of the times. How about them Chargers? (laughs) Luke's a funny guy, man. We We were talking with him in our group chat today. Um, he actually lives in Missouri and his dad is, is a former chief season ticket holder. So he, uh, he has chosen the chargers over the chiefs. And so, you know, that's dedication if I've ever heard it. And, you know, I think, you know, unfortunately it is a, it is a rough time to be a chargers fan. And, you know, I, after Sunday, I had some friends and family text me and be like, are you okay? Like, like how are you doing with all this? And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it is a tough time, but at the end of the day, you know, like he said, you know, there's Justin Herbert, there's Keenan Allen, there's Joey Boza. You know, Kenneth Murray had his best game on Sunday as a professional. So there are some positive things to look forward to. And, um, you know, I, I do believe that there are brighter days ahead. Yeah, I mean, there are brighter days ahead. And look, I mean, it could always be worse. You could uh, potentially like the Chargers and also the third best team in the NFC East. 
So you know, <laughs> there's always it, it could always be worse, you know. Hey man, your your second favorite team got a Super Bowl win two years ago. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm actually wearing the shirt right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean they did get a Super Bowl, I guess. So this is the price we have to pay. But um, no, yeah. I mean I, I hope for the Chargers to get a Super Bowl uh, someday. And you know it, it's been a rough two years uh, compared to where we were in 2018. Um, but you yeah, know the future is definitely bright with guys like Herbert and Allen and Bosa. It's just about you know, getting that coaching search right and, you know, uh, also making the right moves. And uh, hopefully that's what we do in the offseason. Yeah, you know, th- this coaching decision cannot be more important because, you know, Anthony Lynn coached four years. McCoy coached four. Norv did six, I think. Marty did five. So they've got to get a coach that can stick around in Los Angeles for a while and, like, bring some continuity to this team and bring some much-needed stability that we thought Anthony Lynn was going to bring two years ago. So, you know, it is, you know, we said last year that that might be the most important off season of the year. And like yeah. this 2021 off season is definitely more important. Um, they've got to get the coaching situation, right. They've got to get on the right track to being a contender because, you know, they're going to be paying Justin Herbert a lot of money in the very near future. So definitely got to be, you know, making the right decision in the coaching front. Yeah, no, and uh, I wake up every night in sweats thinking about Josh McDaniels. Um, <laughs> that, that'll that happen for a while, probably. Oh, man, that, this is going to be interesting. You know, this there's a lot of quality candidates uh, in, in terms of head coaches this year, and Daniel Jeremiah brought up Mar- potentially Marvin Lewis coming back into the NFL. So, you know, the Chargers should have their pick of the litter, and they've they've got – you know what amounts to be the best job opening in the league if they do end up opening it if they do fire anthony lynn so um definitely some some big shoes to i don't want to say big shoes to fill but like big shoes to create i guess i don't know (laughs) so let's get to our uh game preview we'll start with the injury report um on the charger side chris harris did not practice today joshua kelly did not practice today and denzel perryman did not practice today uh chris harris this has kind of been the normal thing you know He's been listed with a foot injury every single week, and they just kind of give him Wednesdays off. Um, you know, Denzel Perryman, I, I think, is probably not going to play this week. And he was more important this past week against the Patriots than he is this week, um, you know, especially with Kaiser White returning to practice. But, um, you know, Denzel Perryman has been one of the bright spots this year. And so I think, you know, missing him is definitely a big deal. Yeah, no, I mean, Perryman was – you just felt the loss of him the whole game where it's like, Oh look, another running back just going straight up the middle. <laughs> like yeah. No one's there to stop him. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I definitely felt that way watching that game. And, um, you know, I'm not saying the Chargers would have won that game with Fairman because, you know, they just looked out of sorts as a team. Um, right. But, you know, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if maybe they forced Cam into a couple more uh, throws with his arm um that was definitely a possibility but they just never quite you know did that and i think losing paraman was just such a huge piece um in terms of casey hayward um you know uh looks like he'll play after playing last week um joshua kelly and chris harris probably will play uh justin jackson was activated off ir oh, yeah, good call yeah. um so that's uh so that's interesting it looks like he'll be back so and now we have a, a bit of a crowded backfield with Eckler and Milaj and um, Jackson and Kelly. So I'll be curious to see what they do. Um, 
maybe they I don't I don't know what they'll do because they have four running backs and they're probably only going to play three unless they only carry four. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what they do for uh, do for Sunday. Yeah, that will be interesting because, you know, Justin Jackson, you know, he uh, I don't think it's been officially like activated to active roster, but he has been designated to return. So, you know, they'll have a window to activate him and potentially have him back on the roster for Sunday. Um, but, you know, we've seen the other rookies, you know, KJ Hill, Joe Reed have their turns of being inactive and sitting. And so maybe yeah. it's Joshua Kelly's turn this week. I don't know. Um, Please. <laughs> Jeez. It's, it's sad, man. Like Joshua Kelly started out the yeah. season so well. And, you know, he's been literally one of the worst running backs in the league ever <laughs> since. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't have anything personal against Joshua Kelly. Um, well, I do have something personal against the pick, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's been a rough year for him and, you know, I just hope with a, a second off season, he can kind of right the ship. But I mean, at this point in terms of the running backs that are aesthetically pleasing to watch, it's pretty clearly Eckler, Jackson, and then Lodge just over, over Kelly. Cause it feels like every run kind of goes nowhere except for that, you know, apparition of a 30 yard run in the bills game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the other runs just haven't been that efficient. And when you see more out of someone like Bellage, who, you know, was jumping around from team to team. Um, I don't know. It's just a little bit of disappointment in Kelly, but it's also been a tough first year for him. So, you know, I hope, uh, the pick can be redeemed uh, somewhat by a good uh, second year campaign for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it, it stands to reason that, you know, some of these rookies just have had, you know, a tough time adjusting to the league because of the lack of the off season. So yeah, um, we'll see how that pans out. Obviously we're rooting for him to to bounce back next year and Joe Reed too, man. I would love to see him be more involved down the stretch, you know, especially, you know, with the record, the way it is, I would love to see Joe Reed get five snaps a game. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would use the term bounce back for Joe Reed, but you can't really bounce back right. from not <laughs> from being nothing. played. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, um, it's just tough. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do um, with the wide receivers. Because I don't know. And I know you're not for this idea, but I was talking to myself into Jamar Chase today and I was kind of thinking about it. Um, but I don't know. It, they'll take a receiver at some point in the draft. So I'll be curious to see how that shuffle with uh, Hill and Reed uh, as well as Mike Williams uh, and all those guys uh, kind of plays out. Guyton and Tyron Johnson, uh, who we definitely didn't respect, uh, didn't expect before the year. Yeah. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of interesting guys that will kind of be playing for roles both at the end of this season and uh, in the off season. Listen, man, if, if the Chargers trade down and then take a receiver in the first round, like I'll be okay with it. But you know, I just another top ten receiver. I just I I can't get behind it. So trade down and take one at twelve if you want. I'm I'm fine with that. But. Um, in terms of Joe Reed, it, it's just been frustrating because he had that one touchdown against the Jaguars. Yeah. And then it was like two weeks in a row where it's like Joe Reed is inactive. And then the week he was active, he played one snap. And, you know, it's not like they're – I just don't understand it. You know, you're running ends around to other receivers. Like, why can't yeah. you put in Joe Reed, who you drafted, and let him run right. 
one end around a game or, you know, maybe pitch him the ball from the backfield. And it's just like, every time Tyron Johnson gets an end around, I'm just like, what, what are we doing here? Like just put in Joe Reed and, and everyone will be happy. Yeah. It's just frustrating that they don't, they don't play certain guys that can definitely be playing more pivotal roles. Like we even saw this on Sunday, like they um, Donald Parham has that great play uh, at the beginning of the game where yeah. he caught the ball and, you know, got 15 yards, I think. Uh, and then it was just silence for the rest of the game. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what it's been like, um, you know, for a lot of these guys, whether it's Reed or Parham, uh, you know, the, they'll come in and show a little something and then be silent for three games, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's just, you know, trying to get guys their touches and all, but it's like, you know, if someone like Parham is having, you know, could have the potential to heat up or you have someone like Reed who could have the hot hand at some point, um, I, I just think it's, you know, especially cause those guys are young and I just feel like it's a little bit, um, more pressure just to give those guys touches. Yeah. And, and every time I see a video of Donald Parham, I'm just like shocked at how tall he is. Yeah. Like there was that video of them walking down the tunnel in Buffalo and he was standing next to, I think Forrest Lamp, who's like six, four, six, five. And he was like a good six, seven inches taller than him. And I was just <laughs> like. There's no way this guy's listed at six eight. Like he's probably like six ten. Yeah, I mean he's he's probably like six ten. Like six eight is like LeBron height, and I think Donald Parham is a little bit bigger than LeBron. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he he's just a freak athletically. And um I'm curious to see what that because Virgil Green is another free agent. So um I'll be interested to see what happens with him. Does Parham move up to second tight end? Um, that that'll be interesting to see in the offseason. Yeah, for sure. So Joe Reed did return to practice in a limited fashion uh, today. Um, Charmy Pope as well, limited fashion with his neck injury. So, um, you know, Pope again, obviously, if, you know, the other three backs, other four backs are active, you know, I think it's safe yeah, to say so that, that Pope would uh, not be active on game day. Yeah, probably not. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess you'd be looking at like Pope, Pope and Kelly both being inactive, or maybe they do four. I don't know. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. So that that'll do it for the injury reports. Um, we I did miss one of our mailbags that I wanted to play from uh, Zachary Whitaker. He's been uh, on here before, so I wanted to play that one uh, for you guys. Hey guys, this is Zach, aka at Real Tone Digs, uh, <laughs> man. I ain't ever been this embarrassed to be a Chargers fan. And it's, it's hard right now. But uh, Lynn's got to go. It's uh, – the motivation isn't there, and that's his style, motivator, leader. And then he's not – he's not motivating shit. I mean, he's, he's just not <laughs> doing it. Not – he's not cutting it anymore. I don't know what to even think about the guy. He's, uh, he's pretty rough right now. He don't know his head from his ass. And uh, – He's getting Herbie killed. We basically got to start all over on the offensive line. I mean, Balaga's about the only one. I mean, it's bad when you're wishing Tevy was in the game. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, uh, we got nine draft picks so far. I say we need to spend about 14 of them on offensive linemen <laughs> because this is just unreal. Unreal how bad this season's been. And I never expected a, a loss like that. And this – 
that Lens has got to get his shit together. I mean, I'm expecting our special teams to just gonna be complete dog shit going here on out, especially since he's taken over with how well he's motivated everybody else. So hopefully Herbie can, you know, grow a little more and learn. But I don't know about under Lens tutelage how that's going to work out. Appreciate it, fellas. Yeah, <laughs> he's not motivating for shit was my favorite line there. <laughs> um, it, it's true, man. It, it's tough right now. And the offensive line in particular, it's, it's just in bad shape. And so, um, like we said earlier, they, you know, they've got a tough offseason ahead and, and they've got to do some things and move some people around. And, you know, it's just it's not panned out like we we thought it would, unfortunately. No, I mean, you know, my my lowest expectation for this team was like, maybe they go six and ten seven yeah. and nine like that, that felt like worst case scenario and you know we're sitting here at three and nine like okay could we get one two more wins and that's that's kind of the position we're in and we're actively like well you know if the Bengals win a game here and then the cowboys win two games and yeah. then, then we're in for sewell which um i i did not think would be possible before the season uh for sure uh to be in that kind of spot so i you know i definitely understand the disappointment um i i I definitely agree with the fact that you know lynn hasn't quite been motivating his team and the coaching has regressed so you know it's just been that plus the offensive line plus all of the other stuff on the team you know it's just been one big uh (laughs) it has and you know i've gotten some this is he didn't mention this but um, you know, a lot of people have asked me like, oh, what about the Green Bay coach? I thought he was really good. And listen, James Campen is a fine offensive line coach. You know, he, yeah. he's probably, I don't want to say one of the best, but he's, he's, he's a good offensive line coach. He has a very good reputation in around the league, but the Chargers gave him shit to deal with, man. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's not like they were, you know, providing him with David Bakhtiari type talent, which he had in Green Bay yeah. or, you know, uh, Wyatt Teller in Cleveland. and you know, somebody was like, well, Cleveland got better after he left. It's like Cleveland got better because they signed Jack Conklin and they drafted Jedrick Wills. Like, that's not a coaching <laughs> yeah. thing. That's a talent thing. If the Chargers yeah. sign a guy like Jack Conklin and draft a guy like Jedrick Wills this year, they will improve drastically. That's just kind of how it works. Right. But, you know, I think I mean, James like, Campen is is he's good. He, he's not yeah. great. He's not terrible. But the Chargers have offensive line has just been a mess with health and you know regression like we talked about earlier right i mean even if you put together a line that's something like i don't know blaga tevi um you know you bring say you bring back lamp um and maybe you draft uh, an interior lineman or something like that uh, and cut turner like that would at least be something to work with um but no i think they have to draft probably a tackle and a guard and (laughs) and use one of the 14 picks that (laughs) um you know zach whitaker just mentioned there so uh, you know hopefully hopefully uh you know maybe they trade back in the draft and, and accumulate some capital but yeah no offensive line is definitely one of the big needs heading into this one yeah and, and we'll definitely cover the draft needs uh you know as we get closer to the draft and things finalized but you know you mentioned draft order this week is a big big week for draft order because the Bengals and cowboys play each other this sunday so uh, you know, I think we probably want to root for the Bengals to win that game. We'll see. I, I don't know. I feel like the, if the Bengals are because they have the tie, 
you know, I feel like if they lose out, then, you know, that's it. Like they're, you, you can't jump them. Right. So, right. Um, you know, I think the Cowboys have some more winnable games on the stretch. They play the Eagles, for example. <laughs> um, whereas the Bengals, you know, this is their, this is their best chance to be the Cowboys. You know, they play the Texans, the Steelers and the Ravens after that. So um, if the Bengals don't win on Sunday, I don't think they'll win another game the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, this is really the Bengals Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> against Andy Dalton in the revenge game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a certainly a storyline. So, you know, this is kind of their big game probably before everything goes out. And yeah, um, I'll, I'll be curious to see how Dallas chargers and the Bengals all finish in that. Uh, presumably will be a top five. So, you know, who <laughs> hope for the outside shot uh, at Sewell, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't think four or five is a bad spot either. Yeah, you know, I think if you end up at four, you know, I think that's a great trade back spot. Um, like I mentioned, we'll definitely cover that once it happens. But, you know, this there has been a lot of gaining buzz around Zach Wilson from BYU, which I don't understand. But then again, I like Utah, so it is what it is. And then, of course, there's Trey Lance. So, you know, it stands within reason that somebody really would want to trade up to go get one of those quarterbacks, you know, like the 49ers or the Bears or someone that really needs a quarterback. And so... That's a good spot if they can end up at four. Um, let's let's get to this game real fast. You know, I don't know how much time we want to spend on it, but um, to me, if you're talking about the key to this game that really is going to determine how the Chargers are going to do in terms of winning or losing, it's the offensive line. Like we already talked about, you know, Grady Jarrett is one of the best players in this league. He's an amazing defensive tackle. And I think if you're going to win, you have to have to double team him, keep him under wraps. Do not let him get after Justin Herbert, especially because he plays mm. defensive tackle right at the middle. And, you know, I, I think if Justin Herbert can stay relatively clean because expecting them, him to be expecting him to not be sacked at least once, like it's just not happening. Um, yeah. But keep the pressures under 25, under 20, and, and the Chargers offense will be in good shape. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that's the case. Um, I'm just curious to go to ESPN to see what the Falcons' uh, pass rush win rate is. Um, so I'm just going to look that up real quick. And the Atlanta Falcons clock in. Actually, pretty. they have a pretty high pass rush win rate uh, at 52%. Um, did not expect them to be number three. Um, but this is certainly... Uh, a better defensive line than they played last week uh, against the Patriots, who are one of the worst in the league. The Falcons, they have a lot of guys uh, like Brady Jarrett, you just mentioned, um, formerly Tack McKinley. Uh, you know, they they have a lot of interesting things that they do on defense, even though they're not the most skilled. They are rebuilding that defensive group, but they've had a great year. Um, I, I honestly, you know, would not have guessed on paper that they were third in the league in pass rush yeah. win. Well, um, they signed a, they signed Dante Fowler in the off season and yeah. he's, been, he's been pretty good for them. Yeah. Dante Fowler has definitely been one of the better, um, signings around the league. So they have a lot of things they can bring up the middle through, uh, through the edge. So chargers have to be as ready as they can be. Um, I'm not expecting a whole lot from the offensive line, but if you can, you know, uh, not have Justin Herbert on the ground constantly, uh, it would be good. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing I think, which is second here is um, just don't like die against Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, like <laughs> oh, keep it gosh. manageable because, you know, 
they did a good job against Stephon Diggs, but you know, John Brown yeah. wasn't out to kind of play opposite of him. So um yeah, I, I'm not excited. You know, I think Michael Davis will be okay, you know, deep. Um, but man, this secondary going up against Julio and Calvin Ridley, who are arguably the best, you know, receiver duo in the league. Uh, I'm just like uh not excited. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's going to be interesting to see how Casey does in this game. And this is, yeah. you know, Casey has a lot of tests, you know, coming up with Julio Jones. Um, they play the all, all the divisional opponents again. So he'll get to see Deshaun Hamilton uh, and Demarcus <laughs> Robinson. And he'll get to see Nelson Aguilar uh, yeah. all again. So that'll be an interesting test. Um, you know, the I think the really main thing is, Casey has struggled with big receivers this year. Um, you know, it happened with Mike Evans and Denzel Mims, really receivers that can physically impose uh, on Casey. That's, yeah. that's been a big problem, I think, more than speed or anything else. Um, so, you know, we saw that to some extent with Deshaun Hamilton uh, and Cortland Sutton last year. So, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, I mean, I think the Falcons and how their passing offense goes, you know, if they can, uh, if they can work it out, you know, and, and you know, I don't think you're going to hold Julio Jones, but if you can at least contain him a little bit, um, that would be good. You know, they were they were good with Stephon Diggs against the Bills. Uh, it's it's just going to come down to you know, um, you know, can you get pressure on Matt Ryan? That will be another big thing. Uh, and more people have to get pressure than just Joey Bosa. <laughs> like, yeah. Joey Bosa could not be the only one getting pressure in this game, even though the Falcons offensive line certainly isn't great. Uh, I, I think that you need to get more consistent pressure from the other guys like Tillery and like, and Wosu. Uh, you, you got to get pressure from everyone here. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I think it'll mostly just come down to how much can they rein in the Falcons passing off, uh, ba- passing offense, right? with Julio, Ridley, all those guys. Um, you know, if you can stop them, I, I, I really don't think this is an impossible game to win, but it's also a matter of which Chargers team shows up. Yeah. Uh, I could see the Chargers winning 45 to nothing, and I could see them losing 45 to nothing <laughs> to this Falcons team. So it's, um, it's a tough one. I, I think it'll be kind of a shootout-type game. Uh, maybe similar to a, a couple Falcons games from earlier in the year. Um, maybe something we get like Falcons Cowboys or, or you know some of those other uh, crazy ones. Um, it's just going to depend on you know how much the Chargers can protect Herbert as well as we mentioned. Uh, I, I don't think this is a hard game to win. Um, <laughs> after last week, I don't think I can pick the Chargers to win. <laughs> I, yeah. I'd probably say like Falcons. 30 chargers uh 24 something like that i think that that's kind of a fair score for this one i think it'll be a shootout for most of the game um but yeah this this is a very winnable game (laughs) it's a matter of you know do you want to win the game or do you want to lose it with the sewell position and all that but right honestly at this point with everything we've been through with lynn and all of this stuff from the last two or three weeks I, I would take a win um, over yes. here. I, yes. I think it would just be fun to win again and not want to like slit our wrists on a Sunday podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that might be the preferable option here, but um, yeah, I'm going to bring Falcons win in a shootout. 
Um, it, it, I think it'll be closer, uh, obviously, than the Patriots game was. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think it could be similar to the Jets game from earlier in the year, um, uh, similar to the Jacksonville game. I, I think it'll be that kind of game where you get that kind of tempo. Just a matter of whether the Chargers, you know, come up late in the second half. Yeah, you know, the Falcons are a really interesting team. You know, obviously they started, I think, going five, right? Um, and then, you know, they fired Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris has kind of figured it out. So, you know, there's been a lot of buzz around the league that Raheem Morris might be keeping that job, which I think, you know, definitely plays to the benefit of the Chargers in terms of coaching hires. But, you know, I, w- I would take a win too, man. I would love some positivity. I would settle for a close game. Like I, I really would, <laughs> you know, just don't because even like the Bills and the Dolphins, I didn't really feel like they really had a chance to win those games. Like, yeah, you know, even the Jets game, it just wasn't a clean football game. It was just they happened to right. be playing the Jets. So, you know, just play a relatively clean game. Don't give up a punt return or, or a blocked field goal for a touchdown. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, w- I would settle for like a clean loss. I really would like, you know, play well, but j- just come up a little short. And, and you know, I think that's probably what happens. You know, I, I can't imagine that the players on this team are very happy about losing like that last week. So right. I would expect the players to, you know, bounce back in terms of their energy and their efforts. And I would expect them to start hot and, and maybe get out to an early ish lead. Uh, I just think like these players, you know, there's a lot of pride in that locker room. And Joey Bosa said that he's like, I'm going to play my ass off. And and I hope that my teammates follow me. And, you know, they've got some Super Bowl winners, winners on that team and Chris Harris and Linval Joseph. So, I do expect this to be a close game. I don't know if they'll win. You know, the Falcons are kind of hitting their stride, even though they're still like super far away from the playoff picture. But um, I think like 31-27 is probably what I'll predict in in favor of the Falcons. Um, Like I said, though, and you said, you know, I think the Chargers will be able to put up points. The Falcons defense is good, but, you know, they're not Patriots or Bills or Dolphins. Right. Like, you know, the the Chargers offense should be in for a, a nice little bounce back game this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down to what you were saying, just playing a complete game, right? We've seen the Chargers play a great first half. We've seen them play, um, you know, good, good third quarters. We haven't really, <laughs> we haven't really seen too much of complete fourth quarters this season. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's just about getting to a point where it's like you don't have a terrible start, you don't have a terrible finish, you just play a complete game. And if they go back and forth with the Falcons and they lose by three or they lose by a touchdown. Um, I'm kind of fine with that. As you said, it's just about, you know, getting that, uh, meter in the right direction again. So, um, and I also just want to see, you know, some of the guys that we're watching, right. Uh, I want to see Kenneth Murray have another good game if possible. Yeah. Right. Um, have him up the middle with pass rush, uh, and trying to like impact the game. That would be cool. I want to see Jerry Tillery show up, uh, to the stadium. Uh, that would not be have fun. A dumbass penalty again. <laughs> yeah, not you know, I don't know, shove his face on a face mask or I don't know, knock Matt Ryan back twenty yards <laughs> or something. Um I, I would just like to see good games from a lot of the players that we're keeping track of, like uh, you know, all those guys on defense, or you know, hey, you know, maybe Justin Jackson comes back, he provides a little bit of a spark. Uh, re- really anything to get this team going uh, in the right direction. Um, and then maybe a little bit more from uh, Keenan and Mike Will, because they were 
pretty quiet against the Patriots secondary, yeah. which shut them down. So I'm hoping for a little more from them this week. Yeah, it would be nice to see a little air guitar from Austin Eckler as well, see him yeah. get back in the end zone. So, you know, I, I think this team will bounce back. And, and uh, you know, I'm not going to say that they'll win, but I, I think they'll be in a nice competitive game this weekend. And who knows? Maybe they do, maybe they do win. I'm just not going to predict it because how, how could you? <laughs> not after 45-0. No, definitely not. Um, you know, and, and speaking of players who, who should be bouncing back, man, maybe Forrest Lamp and his new sponsorship – or, or I don't want to say new, apparently it's been a thing, but you know, he tweeted out that he is, has a lamp line. Uh, so maybe that brings in some, some good fortune this week and he has a nice bounce back effort as well. Yeah. Maybe Sam Tevy's baby uh, can play instead of Feeney. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can, you know, maneuver around here. So yeah, you know, <laughs> do we want to do team fun after last week i, I don't know if we want to do team fun that again. lasted like literally an hour man <laughs> i i couldn't do it anymore i was like i was like tweeting about it i was like oh that end around was fun from tyron johnson like that was team fun oh kenneth murray and then as soon as that blocked field goal happened i was like i'm out can't do it anymore <laughs> yeah um i'll just go you know not team fun this week i just hope everyone stays healthy there we uh, go. i'll just say team health just hope everyone stays off the injury and stays healthy from the covid so that's that's the goal of this week yeah yeah man <laughs> just finish the game no no sick stomachs no uh covid <laughs> struggles from here on out um that would be nice all right, you guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we are going to start doing some draft videos. I myself am going to do my top five offensive tackles here in the next couple of days. So definitely keep an eye out for those. Um, definitely, uh, if you're not signed up, we are available on Patreon. That's what, where we usually post most of our videos along with our YouTube channel. And as always, follow us on social media. And if you could, please leave us a rating or review. That would be fantastic as well. And thank you so much for your support. And we hope you guys have a wonderful weekend supporting the Chargers. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com